Uh, great. Could uh, we're going to read from uh, Luke chapter seven, verses thirty-six to fifty? Um, I think Ken, if we don't have the other slides, oh, we have. Oh, fantastic! Brilliant. Well, are there two people that would really quite like to read for us? Are we going to read in the? Um, I think we're going to read it in the ESV version first, and then we're going to read it in the message version of, of the Bible. This is the point where it gets really awkward, because I just have to sit here and somebody says, oh, yes, I'll do it. But could, can anybody read it for us? Anybody? Manuela. Manuela's been doing everything. Michelle, could you read it? No. No. We don't want your posh voice. Yeah. Um, can you read it from your phone? Is that right? Um, so if you, Luke, Luke 7, 36, and if you could do it in, um, yeah, ESV, and is there one other person that would like to read? Come on, yes, come on, please, thank you so much, Cynthia. Thanks, Cynthia. I really like it when people just say, yeah, I can do it. Someone's got it. Um, just wait, I mean, we'll do. Yes, can you do it in? Message, yeah. You do it in the message, yeah. Is that right? Not do it in your posh voice. Not doing me posh voice. Okay. Can I put this on here? Yeah, do it wherever right? you want. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So a sinful woman forgiven. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into a Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair on her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he counselled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them away with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he, who said, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks, Michelle. Yeah, so one of the Pharisees asked him over for a meal. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down at the dinner table. Just then, a woman of the village, the town harlot, having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisee, came with a bottle of very expensive perfume and stood at his feet, weeping, raining tears on his feet. Let down her hair, she dried his feet, kissed them, and anointed them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was the prophet, 
I thought he was, he would have known what kind of woman this is who is falling all over him. Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me. Two men were in debt to a banker. One owed 500 silver pieces, the other 50. Neither of them could pay up, and so the banker canceled both debts. Which of the two would be more grateful? Simon answered, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. That's right, said Jesus. Then turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon, he said, Do you see this woman? I came to your home. You provided no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting, but from the time I arrived, she hasn't quit kissing my feet. You provided nothing for freshening up, but she has soothed my feet with, her, with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. Then he spoke to her, I forgive your sins. That, uh, that set the dinner guests talking behind his back. Who does he think he is forgiving sins? He ignored them and said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Cynthia, for doing that. Thanks for reading. You know, on, uh, uh, today it is, it is Mother's Day. That's why we've got all the books. We've got the cards uh, that Becca got printed out just for this morning. But actually, we choose this morning to make it today when we, we do celebrate mothers, but we celebrate women. And we wanted to make a story. So this is a story of a, of a hero woman that we're going to look at. And there's just a few things that I want to, to draw out from that. And the first thing is that, that Jesus went uh, to the house of Simon the Pharisee uh, to go and have dinner. I, I'm not sure, actually, Simon the Pharisee was a particularly nice person, to be honest. I don't think he was a very, very... It wasn't the sort of person that naturally you would want to go and have supper with. You wouldn't want to just say, oh, Simon, my old mate, let's go and have our dinner together. I think he was arrogant. I suspect he was intellectually quite domineering. I think he was quite self-righteous. And I think he was quite dismissive of those people that were, he thought were underneath him. And you know, sometimes people will sometimes say, you can always tell the character of somebody by the way they treat the people that serve you. You know, if you go into a restaurant, how do you treat the people that serve you? How do you treat the people that sort of come and, I don't know, empty your bins? I try and make an effort to go out to the guys who empty the bins on Sefton Avenue and just say, oh, hi, thank you. Great job. But there is something about it. I'm actually, and I suspect this guy, Simon, was somebody that actually was a little bit, I'm not going to talk to you. You're not worthy of me talking to you. So why did Jesus house, why did Jesus go to Simon's house for dinner? It, and I don't know, but all I know is this, that Jesus did connect with lots of people he didn't agree with, and he also connected with some hugely obnoxious people. <laughs> and he gave them a chance. And sometimes, you know, you think, when we, we have to work with some people, and they are really... Difficult, or they're obnoxious, or you might have a neighbour that is just really, really gives you a hard, hard time. Or so. But I just want to say to you, even these people, Jesus might want to break into. Even those people, Jesus would say, do you know what, I might just have something to say into this person's life. I don't think actually, but I feel sorry for Simon in some ways, because he was quite obnoxious, and it's written down forever. We all can see that this poor guy, Simon, the Pharisee, wasn't, this wasn't the disciple, Simon Peter. Simon Peter was a fisherman. This is Simon, who was a Pharisee. 
But it didn't turn out particularly well for him. And then they had this moment when Simon the Pharisee, and I suspect a few other people, were sort of like, they were sitting around eating dinner. And I, what happened was, in one of the commentaries that I've got, is they had a, a, a low central table in the middle, and all these people would be sort of like lounging around on these chaise longs. That's a different, but they'd be on these beds and they'd be leaning like this, and their, their feet would all be like sticking out like the wheels of a spoke. You know, so a central table with all the food, and then they'd be having this discussion, leaning on their arms, but their feet would be poking out um, away from everybody else. And it's, it's important to know that because you think, well, how, you know, when we hear this story about Jesus standing behind, uh, this woman standing behind Jesus, and how, how did that happen? You think, practic that's what I always want to think. Well, practically, if he was sitting there at a table, you know, with his feet under, well, you know, it wasn't, but it, legs were, okay, okay, there you go, the picture. That's actually a photograph that was taken at the time. <laughs> By you. By me. <laughs> with my iPhone. They're sitting around having this really earnest discussion, talking about all these things. Who walks in? The woman. Now, the woman that was known as the town prostitute. There are, in the other Gospels, there is a very similar story to this. And in the other story, it is Mary. But what some commentators would say is that this is a different encounter. This is not Mary. That's what some people would say. This is not Mary. This is a different woman that came in. Now, imagine, oh, they're all sitting around here, sort of, yeah, right. In, in walks this woman. Is that awkward? Or is that hugely awkward? In walks this woman and then just comes and stands near Jesus and just wants to be close. <laughs> she just wants to be near Jesus. And then she starts weeping. And you could almost, you can see her standing there and suddenly these like, these drops, you know, start coming down her face. And she's thinking, and then you, you know, and then these, she, I don't know if she was wearing mascara, if they had mascara in those days, but if she did, she'd have black long streaks. And it would just be one line, and she's like, and she starts weeping. I think she sounds like she is a broken woman. <laughs> she's a broken woman. Now, I, I don't know the, I don't know, you know, I don't know the difference between uh, modern prostitution and ancient prostitution. But I do know, I, I looked up some statistics, and it said that, let me read a quote uh, from some uh, research paper that I read. In the areas of prostitution, there are many victims of child abuse experiences. And in a study amongst Hamburg uh, prostitutes and sex workers, 83% of the prostitute survey had traumatic experiences at early childhood, of which 48% were cases of sexual abuse. Many women, many people, sorry, are asking themselves, what causes the victims of sexual abuse to expose themselves to newly repeated abuse? This is, I'm quoting here from this report. And it says, basically, feelings of worthlessness and an enthusiasm for violence. From the point of view of commit, this is, I'm, I'm quoting it, from the point of view of, co of commitment theory, sexual abuse has serious cons consequences for those affected. 
Victims adapt to the expectations of the adult and imprint them while they push their own desires and feelings completely into the background until they become invisible. Any form of self-protection is gone. Victims simply accept the violence of the perpetrator as they develop and they can potentially generate an unhealthy idea of violence which makes them feel safe. As, long as, it, um, as it is long known and has already been mentioned, most victims of abuse, abuse suffer from severe feelings of guilt, shame and worthlessness, which prevent them from perceiving themselves positively. Unfortunately, this also encourages following thoughts in the minds of the victims. I am not worth for anything better and self-humiliation is okay. So why was this woman <laughs> standing behind Jesus weeping? Because she had profound sense of worthlessness. Uh, conjecture. But it is most likely a profound sense of shame. A profound sense of guilt. <laughs> but she somehow, I don't, I don't really understand her, but she somehow felt that with all the years of people like abusing her and the years of like paying to have sex with her and the years of the condemnation and the guilt and the recrimination of the people around she somehow felt that if she felt if she stood close to Jesus there was hope <laughs> there was hope if she just stood there there was hope that Jesus offered her something and I think, I don't know, whether, you know what caused the tears, but I suspect it could have been tears of relief. You know, tears of relief of all this stuff over all these years. All these years, and then suddenly she thought, oh my, hope is being restored again. Hope is there. And I think that that was the moment she began to think, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. I'm going to put my trust in this man. You know, I think there is something when, I think when sometimes people walk into a place of worship, if I, I, I heard it just recently, when you walk into a place of worship and when you walk into a place where Jesus is valued and honoured and revered and you know, it doesn't matter what, what you've been through and probably more so if you've been through some traumatic, you come into a place of worship where people just love Jesus and it moves you to tears and you're thinking, this is weird, why am I crying? Why am I crying? I don't know if that woman who was standing close to Jesus, I don't know if she thought, why am I crying? But it's something about coming close to Jesus and, you know, grace and love and kindness, it breaks in again. At the King's Arms Church that we, we do a lot of work with up in Bedford, they've got a really big building and they hire it out for conferences. So in one part of the building, we were all in there worshipping and we were having this, you know, church leader conference. It was great. It was all very good. And then there were some other people, the NHS, a lot of people from the NHS, uh, higher parts of the building. And then two women were walking past and they said, what is that noise in there? What is that? Who are those people singing in there? And then they walked in and it was people just worshipping Jesus. And do you know what they did? They just cried. <laughs> They just cried because it's people coming close to Jesus. Just so you know, it gets even more awkward. Even more thinking, oh my, this woman was sobbing. Her tears by this point 
I think she'd probably given up all hope of, you know, self-respect. But her tears were sort of like, they were just pouring down. They were falling down onto Jesus' feet. And it gets even more awkward because she then started to literally wash Jesus' like dirty feet with her tears and then wipe, it, wipe them with her hair. We had a discussion around our dining room table the other day about um, uh, sometimes that people have been seeing uh, people wash somebody's feet at a wedding. Has anyone ever seen that? No? Or sometimes you go to a church service and people are washing feet. And we're thinking, I don't want anyone touching my feet, thank you very much. <laughs> and then Jill really helpfully said, yeah, and especially yours, Duncan. You don't want anyone else touching your feet. But in this moment, there's all sorts of like boundaries that are being crossed, aren't there? And you're thinking, I don't really want somebody touching my feet. And now you've got Jesus standing there and you've got this woman who is known as the town prostitute sort of like washing Jesus' feet. What a gift. Hope is in Christ alone. You can be the most successful person in the world or you can be the most broken person in the world. You can have history that you're proud of or history that you're ashamed of as long as your hope is in Christ alone. One thing I just wanted to... It's a nice bit of musical accompaniment. <laughs> you know when I said earlier that this is not Mary, there was a point to, to saying that. Because um, this woman is anonymous. I would quite like to know her name. But she's anonymous. How come Simon... How come we know Simon's name? Why is he so important and she's not... Why don't we get to know who she is, what her name is? Perhaps it was to protect her. But then I, like, I was praying through this and I thought, Jesus, you knew her name and what would you want to say to her? And Jesus would want to say to this anonymous woman, I know you, I love you, and I'm speaking a better word over you than everybody else speaks. And I've got a good plan for your life. I don't know if you, perhaps particularly as a woman, you feel anonymous. I don't know. Especially when you get old. Perhaps when you get up, when you're older, you become invisible. But you might feel that nobody really knows who you are. And you're thinking, I, I don't, I've got all these things, all these gifts inside, but nobody really knows who I am. And all I'd say to you is this, that Jesus would say to you, I know you, I love you, and I have a plan for your life. Jesus knows you. We get to this point where they're all lying around, they're sitting around this table, sitting there, this anonymous woman is then like wiping Jesus' feet, and then Simon, good old Simon, who makes it at last into the scene, he speaks up, and he says, you're mad, <laughs> what are you doing? Do you know who this woman is? Do you know who this woman is that is there, sort of like wiping your feet? Do you know it? Do you understand who this woman is? You're making a big mistake. And then Simon says, look, I'm really sorry, I could have been, I know I could have been more welcoming. I could have, yeah, I know I could have got a bowl of water out for you. I could at least have shaken your hand. I could have got some food. I could have, I could have done, but to be honest, I had more important things to do. You know, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry, forgive me, but there's no excuse for this. There's no excuse for this. And particularly with this woman. But again, Jesus sees into people's hearts and he sees character and attitude. And this woman, he sees a broken woman putting her hope in Jesus. And in Simon, he sees an arrogant man with a critical, judgmental heart. <laughs> and I think if, if my default is to see the worst in people, and if my default is always to pick up on the faults of others, it says more about me than it says anything about other people. We're called to be discerning and why we do need to be, we are called to be discerning and we are called to be wise and we are called to live good lives. But when that becomes a mean-spirited judgmentalist, judgmentalism, and if I become arrogant like Simon, I'm becoming less and less like Jesus every day and I'm becoming more and more like Simon the Pharisee. And actually I want to become more and more like Jesus every day. And then, actually, there's this story, you know, it says, you know, if you've got much to be forgiven, um, you, you know, you're much to be grateful for. I think I'm not even going to touch on that, just to say that if, if we're forgiven much, we have much more to be grateful for. But what I really want to look at is this, is when, when Jesus said to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? <laughs> do you see her? And he says it, he says it twice. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? Look at her. Uh, look, at, look at this woman. I suspect that this woman was always being used to being looked at as an object of sexual desire. That's, you know, that, I suspect that's what, but, but Jesus said to her, look, look at her. She said, look at her. <laughs> look at who this woman is, not for what everybody else thinks, but look at her. Look at her. I, I don't know, I think, o over the years, I think uh, we have helped a number of people, a number of women who have, um, who have lived like this woman, who have made, their, made money from selling their bodies. Just so you know, over the years, that's, we have. And I'm grateful in some ways that we haven't done it because we've had a ministry to sex workers. <laughs> But I'm grateful that we've done it because it's people that we have known from stuff that we've been doing. And it's friendships that we've made over the years and we've just, we've given us, well, of course we will help, we'll help them as friends. It's not, it's not a project, but we will help them as friends. And like, it was a, a while ago um, when, uh, when Jill was washing the hair and the back of a woman in our bath at home because her life was just spiraling out of control. And she wasn't able to really do some of those things. But she, she wasn't, if you looked at her from the outside, if you passed her on the street, you would think, oh no, this is not. But no, she's a, she is a woman. And everything that we're doing, so much of the things that we are doing, every time that Alan goes out down into central London with his bag, rucksack of people, of things to give away, every time we do the night shelter, every time we're sort of like all the stuff that you're doing, Michelle, with people who are really in trouble, every time we feed people, we're saying that they're not just numbers, they're people. They're real people. And Jesus said to Simon, look at this woman. She is not just what appears before you. And that woman that, that um, Jesus, um, that Jill was washing 
her back and her hair in our bath at home. Complicated as her life is, she loves Jesus. How do you get that? How do you get that? She still loves Jesus. She, it's, she is putting her hope in Jesus, other, but not anything else. But she's got in the grip of addiction. And we just say, Jesus, break that addiction. Help us to be the people that like, see Jesus minister and break addictions all around us. But she loves Jesus. And so, again, Jesus says to Simon, look at this woman. Simon, you think you're the teacher. <laughs> you think you are the important one. You think, Simon, you should be at the centre of it all. You think you are the one that should be judging other people. But I need to let you know something. Look at this one. She is teaching you. That's the way it is. It's, she, we're learning from her. Simon, you think you're the most important one, but you're not. It's her. She's the most important. She's got the right attitude. She has got something to teach from you. And who do you want to learn from? I want to learn from anybody that loves Jesus more than I do. I don't, anybody, I just want to know anybody that loves Jesus more than I do. I do want to speak to uh, 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 women in particular for a moment. And if you're a mum, and if you've got kids, and you're working hard, okay, so the scenario sometimes with children, you're working really hard, you're doing things, sometimes you can barely get out of the house with two shoes on, okay? It's, life is like difficult, okay? You're, like, you don't have a lot of sleep, you're just trying to do, what can you do to make life work really well? Life is busy, complicated, all these pressures on you, and then you think, and people are judging me for how my children are, and you're thinking, oh, what can I do about this? And, think, and then you're told, okay, and now you've got to bring your children to church, and they've got to be really well behaved, and they've got to be paragons of virtue, and you're never allowed to have an argument the day just before you're about to come into church, or you're never allowed to tell your children. All, those, all that pressure, how, as well as that, how can I encourage my children to love Jesus? And sometimes you think, oh, I can't do it. The answer is, is really simple. All you have to do is love Jesus. You can't do anything more. If you really want your children to grow up knowing and loving Jesus, the best thing to do, know and love Jesus. Run to him before anything else. Orientate your life around. Come to church, not out of duty, not out of habit, although they're very good things to do, but come to church because you think, oh, I here we are going to learn how to love Jesus more and more. This, um, just going to uh, finish. This week I spoke to a lady called Wendy Mann. Uh, she's a great leader up in a church, this church I mentioned before in Bedford. And we've asked her to come down and uh, speak at Trinity um, in July. She's going to come and do uh, a few different sessions. She's going to do something about hand, handle disappointment. How do you handle, you know, when life has been actually quite difficult? Because unless you handle that well, you won't really be able to live a supernatural life. And so she's going to help us through that thing. And I was just talking to her and said, like, Wendy, if you can come down, it'd be really good. That'd be helpful. And then she said, yeah, I will do, but I just need to get back to you tomorrow. And I said, yeah, that's fine. And she said, because I just need to pray to Jesus and ask him what he thinks through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that is the sort of person I want in the church. He's just saying, Jesus, it's all about you. I'm going to listen to you and follow you.
Who do we want to learn from? I want to learn from someone like this anonymous woman who gave it all to be near Jesus. Can I just ask you to stand with me? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Yeah. Can we have that band back up? Sorry. Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to be more like this woman. Lord, this woman is the hero of the story. Broken as she was, she found in you there was hope. And I just want to, to ask for like a, a response. And in a moment, I'm just going to ask you to, to raise your hand in in response to a particular question, it's not to let anyone else know, but I think sometimes it's helpful if we acknowledge it ourselves. But if there are areas in your life that you are struggling with, and you are struggling to give them to Jesus, and you're struggling to, you're trying to work these things out, and it makes you just, you're confused, you don't know why things have planned out as they have, Jesus today is saying, no, just come to me. Worship me. And so if there are areas where you are just feeling bewildered or angry or confused, could you just raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. Just raise your hand right now. Holy Spirit, I pray, would you come and minister to everybody now who has their hand raised that in the moments of confusion and difficulty, Lord, that they would know that you welcome them to you. Jesus, I thank you that you welcome everybody with their, their hands raised and with some of these issues that they're facing, Lord, we give them to you. Jesus, you are the answer. You are our hope. You are our purpose. Lord, it is all about you. Correct us, Lord. Draw us closer to you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we ask, Lord. Father, thank you. We're going to uh, sing something. The band is going to lead us. After which the service will draw to a close. But we, I would really love to pray for you if there are areas that you're thinking, I just need somebody to pray. That there will be a few of us that will be available to pray with you. Come and allow us to minister God's grace into your life. Just come and stand down 
on the left side hand side down here somewhere and we would love to pray with you